Uh, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we're continuing on with our study of the Beatitudes, and we will look at chapter 5, verse 4. If you are physically able to stand with us, let's read together. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Can we read that together the second time? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Uh, Last week we looked at the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We talked about how being poor wasn't about the physical or even the financial, but it was purely spiritual. To be poor in spirit means an emptying. It is to empty us of anything that we trusted apart from God. And some of our emptying could be our health. It could be your job, your wealth, your reputation, your control, your righteousness. But we all need to be emptied. And sometimes in our emptiness, we think we are there in our emptiness. But God still has more things that he is asking us to scrape. Some of you are walking that journey now and you feel that this is a season of where he is utterly emptying everything out of you. But that is sometimes extended. We don't know why, but the only way that I can phrase it is sometimes the emptying is widened and deepened because he wants us to be prepared for the filling that is the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, God does that. We don't know why, but we fully trust that he has a mighty plan for each and every one of us. And God has a plan with our emptying. And I pray that you will truly experience the filling of the kingdom of God, not just today sporadically or when it's in fashion, but a perpetual filling of the kingdom of God. Now this week we're going to look at, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now how can this be true? How can it be that those who mourn are those who are supremely blessed and even happy? The world will do whatever to tell us that we need to turn our backs on suffering and troubles and try to be happy and joyful as we can. But this comment is so counter to what the world teaches us. Happy are those that mourn. Doesn't it feel weird and often crazy just for me to say it? Happy are those who mourn. How does that make sense in our secular understanding? That these are the true ones and the only ones that experience true blessing. What a statement that this verse is making. When you mourn, it promises blessing. It promises happiness and joy and comfort. And we often want to gloss over our mourning in this season. It's like some of us think as Christians, well, I shouldn't mourn because Jesus is alive. He has resurrected from the grave. That he is victorious over death. He has given me eternal life. Why should I be mourning? What do I have to mourn about? Jesus is good. But if we mourn over the right things, Jesus promises us something that the world cannot possibly understand. It is comfort. What is this mourning actually referring to? This mourning isn't physical. Just like poor in spirit wasn't about the physical. This is everything about something beyond the realm of physical. This isn't about those who are mourning the loss of family to illness. It isn't some sad experience. It has nothing to do with the realm of the natural that we live. 
This is purely and can only be a spiritual mourning. It's about our spiritual condition. It's about our spiritual attitude. And those who will be happy are those who are mourning spiritually. One thing I've learned recently, we can't even attempt to mourn spiritually unless we are poor in spirit. When you are emptied of yourself. I don't know if you remember, but we shared that each of these Beatitudes demands each other. And it starts with the very first one, being poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit doesn't mean you are spiritually weak. It means that you are spiritually alert. Mourning isn't about looking miserable. It's not a religious fake piety that we put on. It's not about not being attractive. It has nothing to do with appearance, but everything to do with what is inside in your spirit. Church, you have to realize that we must be emptied before we can be full. Now, I believe this teaching and principle also applies to this specific beatitude. That's why I said in the title of today's message, you must be convicted before there is a comforting. What does it actually mean when we are talking about blessed are those who mourn? This mourning is one that is spiritual. To be more specific, it is talking about mourning over our sins. The word convict. It's a translation of the Greek word elenko. It means to convince someone of truth, to cross-examine a witness. So it's actually talking about when you are convicted through the power of the Holy Spirit, a prosecuting attorney who is the Holy Spirit convicts us, exposes us of evil, and convinces us that we need a Savior because we can't save ourselves. To be convicted is to fear the sheer ugliness, loathemness of our sin. It is to experience the utter dreadfulness of our sin. We are convicted of how much our sin dishonors God. When we see our sin, it is an attack to his holy attribute. When David was convicted through the Holy Spirit of his amazingly loathsome, utter depravity of his sinfulness. Do you know what he said in Psalm 51.4? Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's not just what we think of one another. It's a dishonor to the holiness of God. I love it when one author says, a real sense of sin must come before there could be a true joy of salvation. What is this specific beatitude talking about is that we must be convicted of sin before we can experience joy. You can't be comforted unless you truly know the sin that exists in all of us, me and you. You see this joy, this comfort cannot be fully realized nor be in our life until we experience the true conviction or more specifically the mourning over our sin. Unless there is conviction, there can be no comfort. One cannot mourn without being poor in spirit. It is quite inevitable in our emptying. We come to examine our life and the utter helplessness and hopelessness we face. And as I realize the quality of my spirit that is in me, it makes me mourn. 
I was introduced to this story through a sermon I heard from a pastor that I love to listen to every evening before I go to bed. In 2003, a 27-year-old mountaineer by the name of Aaron Ralston, who was climbing in the wilds of southeast Utah, his right arm was pinned beneath an 800-pound boulder. His water bottle was now empty. It didn't seem like a rescue team would ever spot him in the narrow slit of the Blue John Canyon. After five days, Aaron Ralston took out his pocket knife and decided, if I'm going to live, I'm going to have to do something difficult and drastic. So he took out his pocket knife and amputated his arm below the elbow. Then he rigged the anchors into the cliff, fixed a rope, and rappelled 60 feet down to the canyon floor, bleeding heavily. He walked five miles when a helicopter search team spotted him on a trail through the Canyonlands National Park. It was his instinct for survival, but much more deeply, it was his desire to live. He wanted to live, and he knew the only way that he could do that was to take out his pocket knife and amputate his own right arm below the elbow. Imagine the desperation he must have felt. But for him, he wanted to live, not die. He knew if he wanted to live, he would need to do something drastic. It might be like this for us with our sin. Do you want to save the part of you? Or do you want to live? If there is any obstacle in our relationship with God, we must be willing to cut it off. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Of course not. I don't pretend to say it is. However, this desire to cut off that portion that is dishonoring to the Lord, that sin that is totally separating us from His love and His presence, this is something that you must do. And the mourning over our sin causes us to repent. And this is between you and God. Don't let anyone tell you, you look repenting or you don't look repent. This is between you and God. And God who sees our hearts knows what we do in our secret place and he will deal with you in that moment. When you do, there's so many things that he's going to highlight that needs to be addressed because God wants to empty and destroy the distance that was between you and him. Repentance. The only way we can break the barrier between me and God is through repentance. Are there any areas in your life where you need to mourn over at the condition that you are in? I mean, everyone in this room, no one is excluded. You and I, all people, a person who truly looks at themselves and examines themselves and their life is someone who must mourn for their sin. If you do this and you start asking, God, what have I done that is not pleasing to you? I promise you, he will address it in his time. How I've behaved, I have dealt with others, how I've been judgmental, Oh, how I've been conscious of this feeling and thought of lust, of gambling, of cheating, living a life that is not honoring to the Lord, drunkenness and orgies, whatever it might be for you, chasing after the world instead of chasing after God. God says, if you repent and if you mourn over your sin, he promises there is comforting. When we realize the condition, the state of our sinfulness, we truly go through a spiritual process 
of repentance and mourning. What is in me that makes me behave this way? Romans 7, I believe, talks about its sin. But I want to share with you this truth, because if I left it just at that, we'd be like, I don't feel like that message was very encouraging, Paul. When you repent, know this truth. God is faithful, and he will forgive. Do you know that God loves it when we repent because he's so willing to forgive? I want to share with you just four verses that I've just been meditating on. He has dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. This is someone who understands the life of repentance and experienced forgiveness. Psalm 133-4, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand but there is forgiveness? With who? With you, that you may be feared. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have what? Mercy on him. And to our God, he will abundantly, not in proportion, but abundantly pardon. May you experience that in your life. And Micah 7, verse 18 to 19, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in what? Mercy. This is who God is. He does not act like us. He does not have that kind of vengeance, although vengeance is the Lord's. God wants to forgive. He wants to know that you are mourning over the conviction of your sin. And he is saying right now, I want to pardon you abundantly. He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in his mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins, where? Into the depths of the sea. God loves you. His love for you is eternal, unconditional, and immeasurable. God's love is incomprehensible. That's why we say it's immeasurable. What's most remarkable about the love is that in spite of your sin and my sin, despite our failures and brokenness and worthlessness, he reaches down and showed us his love by sending his son to die in our place on the cross. One author once said, what God made, God loves, because it's inconceivable that God should make anything that he didn't love. Church, you weaken the power of the evil one when you repent. That's not what he wants. Because when you repent, the the shattering of the distance between you and God is no more. And you are in his presence. That's why the evil one continues to trick you, to give you a spirit of confusion saying, well, he won't forgive you for that. You've done it again. Why would he do that? That's belittling the sovereignty and the attributes of God. He does forgive. You chain up the work of the evil one when you repent, when you receive forgiveness, when grace is shared. Where it isn't, Satan is working industriously, robustly. Church, you know that Satan is always at work. But Satan has no authority. He only has authority on the ones that we give him authority for. Gossip, slander, division, unforgiveness, covetousness, 
all the things that he delights in you doing, he wants you to continue to do. But we choose to say, no, you no longer have authority over my life. I repent and I mourn over the conviction of my sin. And God, I wait for your comfort. When there is repentance, there's also room for restoration. You also mourn not only my sin, but the sins of others. Jesus did the same thing. He saw this horrid, disgusting thing called sin and saw the destruction that sin brought. Jesus cried. He mourned because he knew that sin, as it would take its full course, it would lead to death. For those who truly follow Jesus Christ, they mourn because they know that sin has terrible results. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if we were to end there, we can't, because that's not what the verse says. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The verse makes a gigantic promise, for they shall be comforted. The person who does mourn honestly before the Lord about his or her sinful state or condition is someone who will repent and who is already in the midst of repenting. When you repent as a result of the work that the Holy Spirit is in you, the natural progression is that you will be brought before the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at your sinfulness and the hopelessness, he knows, they know that they can't save themselves And you draw your attention to the Savior that can save all things. And you say, Jesus, I need your comfort. To the Holy Spirit, they see Christ has died for their sins and is standing as his advocate in the presence of God. They see the perfect provision that God has brought through Jesus Christ. And the presence of Jesus comforts them, not brings fear, not brings shame. It does not bring guilt. Your great sorrow will lead to joy. Without the sorrow, there is no joy. Without conviction, there is no comfort. Jesus didn't die on the cross to continue to condemn you. In this moment of your mourning over your sin, over the sorrow and hopelessness, as you experience the sin that is in you and I, as you examine your life, you have to believe What it says in Scripture, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world, what? Might be saved through Him, John 3, 17. So hear this truth, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Be free. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus and the law of sin and death. Church, You and I are sinners. You and I sin. Even this morning, you sinned with your thoughts, with your actions. There is no perfection in our life. The burden of sin will come to us once again. But please know that comfort will come when we acknowledge that the glory that is to come 
there will be a day that Christ will return and that sin will be banished from this present life. There is a new heaven and a new earth and we will no longer have to mourn over our sinfulness, but you will be in a perpetual forever where you will no longer have to feel the ugliness of sin, but you'll be comforted in the fullness of the presence of God. That's why you can be comforted. Church, there is no hope in the world. There there is no hope. There is no comfort that can ever make you feel comfortable. There is no relationship that will allow you to be comfortable. There is no possession that we can hold that gives us a bright future. This comfort is a fake comfort. It is fleeting. The comfort that will experience only comes to the conviction and the mourning of our sin. And when you do so in the emptiness of your spirit, God says the presence of Jesus and the glory that is to come, that is the new heaven and earth, you will receive it. The mourning and groaning is always trumped with the hope that is set before us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This joy of our sins forgiven and to know that Jesus died for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin who knew no sin, that you may become the righteousness of God in him. If you really meditate on that, that's a crazy statement. That is an impossible statement made possible because of the realm of what God has done through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, verse 18, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come fully. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You might be mourning, but you will not continue to be in that state. You might be sorrowful, but you will not continue to be in that state. Because when we experience this mourning rightfully before the power and the mightiness and the loving presence of God, there is newness and there is victory. I love what one author says. When you have a deep sensitivity to your sins through the Spirit, you will experience the high doctrine of joy. And the two will produce a person who will assuredly become comforted. So what do we do? Ask God in your emptiness, is there any sin, areas that you need for the Spirit to reveal? Go through a season of mourning. This ought to be through the reading of the word. Because without it, how do we know? Without truth speaking over our life, how do we know what my thought is or what God's thought is? And not just reading of the word that you ought to meditate on them, to pray to God. Not just asking what you desire, but truly listening to what he says. Because he revealed to you. And in the spiritual revelation that is to come, I guarantee you, The one thing that he promises, as he promises in our scripture today, that you will be comforted. Now, you know the the cycle that I do in my sermon. There's always a song that I like to end with. 
And every time I end, I just, I just wish I, I knew how to play the guitar and sing this song for you. But I had to ask the praise team to do so. But it's a song that I sang with our family yesterday during our family worship. All these broken pieces. All these pieces broken and scattered and mercy gathered and mended and whole. Empty-handed but not forsaken. I've been set free. I've been set free. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Okay, I'll stop. That saved a wretch like me. Oh, I was once lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, I can see it now. I can see the love in your eyes. Laying yourself down. Raising up the broken to life. That's you. That's me. You take our failures. You take our weakness. You set your treasure in jars of clay. A treasure. So take this heart, Lord. I'll be your vessel. The world to see your life in me. Oh, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, I was once lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I don't see a bunch of broken, scattered pieces. I don't just see failure and weaknesses. Because those were the terminologies that we speak of that was before. I see every single one of you, including myself, we are the image of God. And God is going to do a wonderful thing in your life. Please hear me. I want you. I invite you, all of us here and myself, to go through a season of mourning over our sin. Mourn over it. Be in the closet. Have your secret place and say, God, I've committed ultimate adultery against you. I've sold my heart to the world. I've lived a very promiscuous life. My eyes have wandered when I go to work. I've cheated. I've lied. I've broken. I've brought people down. I've not loved the needy. I've not cared for the things that ultimately you care for. I come in the shell of myself, pretending that everything is okay. When you examine yourself, I pray that you would go through a rightful season of mourning. I know this truth. You are going to be comforted. He will comfort you. I've experienced it, and I know you have as well. Whatever the future holds, I pray that this would be the life that we live. That we will be poor in spirit, but we will be filled with the kingdom of heaven. That we will mourn over our sin. And we will be comforted. Church, I have to apologize sometimes that in the life of the church, you are often hindered by the spiritual leader. And that's not the intent that I have. But I'm broken too. I don't just wear a priestly garment and pretend to be holy. I have my own struggles. But where I loved the aspects of the life of the body of Christ, they show you love by being accountable to you and saying, we we want to see this reconciliation happen. And I want to promise that for you as well, whatever happens in the future. 
May the comfort of Jesus come in this place, both now and forevermore. Amen. Father, we thank you. You love your people. You love us as your own, your children. We proclaim the goodness of Jesus in this place. And as we go through a season of mourning, a season of being convicted, exposing the evil that is inside of me because of my sin. Lord, you promise that you will forgive. You promise that you will pardon abundantly. You promise that you will throw and cast away all my iniquities into the depths of the sea. And we await the full comforting of your loving presence. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray.